0: Welcome to Lumpin' Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on WLPN. This week, Lumpin' Radio spoke to a fiber artist about casting spells, chatted with a photographer who documented the effects of toxic chemicals on people, and a journalist about the void left by the shuttering of DNA info. All this plus the Trump Diaries and much more, only on the Lumpin' Week in Review for December 15, 2017. Bad at Sports spoke with fiber artist Carolina Natowski. Things get witchy as KG weaved a conversation on spellcasting, rock and roll, and badminton. Bad at Sports airs every Wednesday at 11.
1: We are joined by Carolina Natowski, or KG, to the in crowd. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, uh, I am Brian Andrews. As always, I'm joined by? Ryan Peter Miller. Ryan Peter Miller. Um, So, just jumping right in, uh, KG is a fibers artist. You've currently got a show up at uh, Julius Caesar. Yes. Been up for a couple weeks now. Going to be up for a couple more. Why don't we just, like, step into your practice by stepping into that show. Let us know what's there uh, that people can see.
2: Sure. Uh, The show is all tapestry work. Sometimes I've been working across sculpture and weaving, uh, spinning my own yarn, and then coiling objects that are found. Uh, and this show, I just made everything on a loom, a frame loom. It's all tabby woven, and there's a back room in the space that is filled with really small weavings that are about three by four inches. Each one is a spell. I, oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I weave objects into them that are important to me, um, and then each small weaving gets a small poem that goes with it that talks about the material content the process of weaving that it took to make that particular work and then the front room of the space is filled with larger works
1: and what are those larger works?
2: Also weaving um, I've been casting my hands for a couple of years now out of plaster and then action painting them because I think it's funny to action paint things that allow you to take action Um, and then uh, those hands kind of hold these hand spun Weavings off the wall.
1: So, are, are, wait, I'm a little confused here. So, are you mm-hmm. action painting holding hands in your hands of your hands and doing the painting that way, or yeah. are you action painting onto the hands? Okay, action or painting. Or is it just messy to and it's the hands? Okay.
2: So I cast the hands, and then I taught myself how to action paint through YouTube instructional videos. Wonderful, and yeah, so they're kind of like blo- like splotchy, drippy weird, colorful hands. They come out of the wall. It's this very 70s horror movie trick. Okay. You know you know, they're not really hands coming out of the wall, but it still kind of works.
1: Nice, nice. Okay. So there's a supernatural element here between that and the uh, the spells. What are the spells? I mean, it sounds like you cast a lot of spells, so there's a lot of small pieces there.
2: There are. There's 35 small weavings in the back.
1: So is this a unified mythological like, directive of trying to uh, do things, or is these all over the... F- the different directions in terms of the objectives of the of the spells.
2: It feels unified cuz I do it regularly, it's a regular practice right. and it usually comes out of some place of frustration. I think that unifies it too, but each one is specific to a a person or an idea. Okay, so it's not like a, a wand.
1: agenda in to purify the world or hunt down somebody or curse someone or it's just all these little... It is all that. It okay. is all
2: those things.
1: Okay. Let us in then.
3: What are, what, yeah. are, what are they doing? Are you allowed to let us in?
2: I think so. Well, what I like is for... If you get one of the weavings, you get the poem that comes with it. Something that I've been doing in my practice is leaving a lot of information out and kind of limiting the access. Um, so the I made a series called Lined Pages... I think in 2012, this was six life-size sculptures of Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin, who's a very witchy person. And I started thinking about what, like when you're an artist and you're in the studio and you think about dragging all this stuff to a gallery and setting it up, um, you start to get smart at designing the setup um, and the breakdown of your work. Uh, and in that design, I started thinking about ways to communicate with uh the gallery assistants that are gonna be unpacking it, and I wanted to have secrets in there that just they would see. Um, A big part of what I work with is classic rock, and there's an oral history to it. And textile processes are uh, shared that way as well. There's a lot of instructionals now, but historically, it would be an oral handing down of skill from one person to another. So I like that. I didn't like
1: meet a weaver on a crossroad yeah. under the full moon to hand out some.
2: Yeah, they give you skillset. a wooden beater, right? And then you make magical weavings with it.
3: And you sell your soul, right, for that that golden beater yeah. for that rock and roll. Yeah, small price to pay. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm still playing around with that idea of limiting the information, and then who has access to these weavings? Who gets to actually spend time with them? And then um, how can like a text based poems slash materials list um help expand that relationship between that one object and that person
1: are the poems installed sort of neck and neck with the pieces for people to see or is it sort of a, demist- a mystical process where they're somehow separated
2: they're separated and they're private yeah. oh and they are private so they're mm-hmm. not given
1: to the
3: to the viewer
2: not to the viewer but no. when the when the weavings are purchased the collector will get a poem
3: and how how do viewers know that this poem is attached to it they they don't at all or or is there
2: all word of mouth okay so I think something that so I we're do we're letting is... them
3: in now yeah yeah
2: yeah and I do this through studio visits or I mean I talk about my work seems like all the time so I just try to kind of plant those seeds get people talking about it I like gossip and I like oral history and you
1: can't have gossip without secrets
2: yeah
3: so the um, to go back to the spells uh is like do you is this part of a a practice that is like art i don't wanna are you a witch do you practice witchcraft like is the is this uh something that is uh heritage or is this something that you kind of evolved into yourself if if that is the case
2: i I like thinking about the idea that all women are witches okay and, and have that potential um so I, I think about it as a way of sort of continuing this conversation about feminism um and then what was the second part of the question?
3: I just i was wondering if it is if it's part of a heritage like a lineage like if if you if you had family history ties that were things that specifically like brought you into it or if it was something that you sought on your own
2: um kind of both okay, so something that's happened to me throughout my career is. <clears throat> I think I stumble upon something new to myself, and then eventually I share this with my mother, who then goes through our family history and reminds me that I'm doing exactly what my grandmother and her grandmother were doing.
3: That's kinda fantastic. It's,
2: Mm. yeah, it's kinda, it's trippy, it's been trippy. Um, And I have a long line of weavers and knitters and spinners and witches. Uh, The women in my family are very superstitious.
1: Okay. Yeah. Where's your family from? Poland
2: and I'm from Poland too. I was born there and came here when I was 5.
3: And do you go back to Poland much?
2: You know, it was always this punishment my parents would hold <laughs> over me, so I was scared of it. And and we were we were poor, very poor. Um and it was not a good time to be in Poland in the early 80s, so we fled the country. Um and when I turned thirty, I applied for a three month residency in Białystok, Poland, which I got into. So that was the first time I went back. So it had been twenty five years. I had not seen my family, my aunts, um, my grandmother, anybody. So it was, it was a shock, but it also helped make a lot of sense of my life, in an unexpected way.
3: That's it, go ahead.
1: Well, and did you in making those connections? discover these lineages in terms of the the witchcraft the these practices that they were essentially doing independent of you were you able to find threads of connection
2: yeah my grandmother's house was organized in a way where objects were kind of were bound with string together um in her kitchen Um, so there's traditions of the way that you would dry an herb the way that you would prepare a certain meal and she was participating in all this um and i i don't know if they would agree that it's a witchy thing i think they sort of consider it just part of their cultural history
3: okay the um, the the binding you're talking about yeah okay
2: um but when I was there, something that I saw, a textile that I saw that really amazed me uh, was my grandmother knew she was going to die, like we all know at some point, and she was working on hand-stitching her dress that she would wear uh, when she was buried.
3: That's powerful.
2: Yeah. I mean, hand-stitching it, no machine, a crappy pair of rusty scissors, um, Which had a history, which she continued to use because of that history. It was one object that she was able to save um, in all of the times she'd have to flee her home and move locations. Uh, So they were really bad scissors, but they were really important to her and they had a power. And she would use those to make these things to help her transition into the afterlife. So I don't know, she wasn't thinking about it that way, certainly, but I was.
0: Nancy Clem spoke with photographer Terry Evans. Evans spoke about the effects of industrial land use on people and about the fight against pet coke storage on the banks of the Calumet River. Spontaneous Vegetation airs the second
4: Monday of the month at noon. In today's show, I speak with Terry Evans. So Terry has a pretty long bio, and I'm just excerpting part of it. Um, The Prairie Ecosystem has been a guide for Terry Evans since 1978. She photographs the prairies and plains of North America, the urban prairie of Chicago, and landscapes threatened by climate change. Combining both aerial and ground photography, she delves into the intricate and complex relationships between land and people, especially recently where local people's landscape is threatened by corporate industrialization. Terry has five monographs of her photographs, has shown and lectured extensively, and has received ma- major awards including a Guggenheim. Her work is in the permanent collections of numerous museums and universities. Hello
5: Terry, how are you this morning? Oh, I'm okay. You know, it's it's funny though. That all sounds really good, but you know, day to day, I I just work and it always surprises me when it turns out that there's a list of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
4: at the end of the year, there's another bit to add to the list of things.
5: Yeah, if I'm lucky. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Which leads you into the work you've done in the south southeast side and um, with Petcoke, and I wanted, I hope you can talk to um, how you got involved in that.
5: Yeah, I was fortunate to um, meet several people at. RDC, Natural Resource Defense Council, here in Chicago. And, um, and they introduced me to the issue that was happening on the southeast side. And I went to a community meeting of um, activists, and I immediately knew that this was something I wanted and needed to get involved with and i wanted to get involved with it on all levels not just as an outsider photographing but um i wanted to be involved in the activist work in in whatever way i could so i participated in marches i attended countless meetings i still i still am part of the group and um you know over time uh, I've learned. Oh, I learned so much. It, I didn't just learn about Pet Coke. I learned about community organizing. I learned what it means to be um, a, a part of a grassroots community that is constantly neglected and not heard by voices of power. And um, it was uh, that was another life changing experience for me. Can you back up and, and maybe?
4: Uh, explain to listeners what Pet Coke is and how it's produced and what is happening on the southeast side.
5: So uh, Pet Coke is petroleum coke, and it's— So the oil, the dirtiest oil, um, is mined in the tar sands, in the Canadian tar sands. And then it's um, shipped down to, among other places, the— the refinery, the BP refinery in Whiting, Indiana. And there, the oil is refined and processed, and then the waste material from that is made into pet coke. Pet coke is used as a fuel, like other kinds of coke um, in manufacturing, but in most places in this country, it's not allowed to be used because it's so dirty. It burns so dirty. So it's shipped to India and China and places that are not as well regulated, or at least as well regulated as we have been up until now. Who knows what will happen now? But due to a lot of pressure from—oh, well, so so pet coke was stored on the banks of the Calumet River uh, in southeast Chicago, and dust from it, constant dust blowing off of these huge piles, would blow into the— um, a largely Latino, Hispanic neighborhood that lived right there, exactly right there. So you could walk down a street and anywhere you went, uh, anywhere you would go, you could wipe your finger along a car or a front porch or a window, and your hand would come up black. So not only was that accumulating on all of these physical structures, but it was accumulating in everybody's lungs and so, um, so the local grassroots group, um, through a long series of pressure and support um, from an attorney and from many people, and that finally uh, BP shut down their storage right there. And, no, not BP, the Koch brothers, of course the Koch brothers. The Koch brothers owned that site. They finally shut down the storage there and in fact sold that side which brings me to a new chapter but uh, but anyway but the pet coke is still being produced and it's still traveling through southeast Chicago on the river and being transferred to barges and shipped out so um, so it's not over but the grassroots group was very successful in uh, in getting the the long-term storage shut down. Do you
4: think that your documentary photographs helped in
5: that in any way? Well, uh, I think they did help. Um, You know, it's it's hard to really ever know how much difference anything that we do makes. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I think they helped because it was possible with the photographs to, um, to use them in ways that I hope reached a larger audience than would otherwise have been reached. And also, Petco, it's such an easy thing to photograph. I mean, it's very ugly, these big, dirty, dark piles. And, and the evidence is so obvious. Mm-hmm. So um, so I, I hope I hope they made a difference. We had an exhibition at the Museum of Contemporary Photography um, in collaboration with, um, I think it was seven or eight artists that the museum invited along with uh, my work, and um, that aroused, for one thing, a lot of student interest, and um, it was possible to bring that whole issue into downtown Chicago that way. Mm -hmm.
4: To show that we're connected. Yeah. 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 I actually uh, went on a three-hour walking tour of that plant in whiting. And um, on, the other, on the backside of the tour, I was with a friend of mine, and I said, do you feel your breathing being constricted? And you did. You felt it, it was so visceral. People were just jabbering away, but I was quiet, and so was he, and we were walking, and we felt uh, a restriction to our breathing as we walked. Mm-hmm. through that neighborhood and um, mm-hmm. saw the fine dust everywhere. Yeah. So when I want to get into... I know you said you have a next chapter in that, so I want to give you a choice here, <laughs> a choice of a, a, a radio adventure. I'm really interested in um, re- restoration and how it's being viewed and what's being done now. Um, and I'd like to... Um, Say that I uh, took a train ride with a friend of mine and our bicycles down to Juliet, um, which is a really depressed city and has a large prison complex there. And we unloaded our bicycles and we had this harrowing ride where there is no shoulder, where 18 <laughs> wheelers were passing us. <laughs> oh, and then we w- went by huge uh, commercial distribution warehouses where we finally got to this uh, 19,000 acre. Mm-hmm. Tallgrass Prairie which bit which has been in the making since like 1996 and it's um, um it's a former uh, arsenal that started up in the 1940s and, and uh, served the needs of weapons manufacturing for World War 2 and um Korean and Vietnam wars um and uh, it was closed down in the late 70s and there used to be bunkers there um and which have now since been torn down. And it's now the site of uh, the tall uh, Tallgrass Prairie, um, which is interesting because when we talk about restoration and working with these disturbed landscapes, of disturbed in the sense of the Bakken fields or disturbed in the sense of um, what's happened in the southeast side with industry, here's a very disturbed site that's been... Uh, being restored, has been worked on being restored for some time. And Medewan is actually a Potawatomi name for Grand Medicine Society, um, which talked not only about um, this group not only using power to, like, heal um, individuals, but also to keep the greater uh, society in balance. So I'm interested in how there's a impetus or is there, there's a human impetus or there's a dream or there's some movement towards taking these damaged landscapes and um, revitalizing them in some way. Yeah. I'm, I'm, so I'm not yeah. sure if you want to, if we can leap into that in our remaining time or if you want to go back into how your work is kind
5: of progressed. Well, maybe maybe we can do both yeah and it's well i just let me just say briefly that uh in in winding up about the pet coke work mm-hmm. is that now uh the Koch brothers have sold that site and cleaned it up that one of the sites where the, the large piles of pet coke were and now um now it looks like there will be uh storage there of concrete for recycling, um, which has the potential to be just as dusty and uh, intrusive in the neighborhood as the pet coke. We don't really know what's happening there, but uh, but mm. some of us are looking at that and trying to find out the effect it has had in other nearby mm. neighborhoods like in Lyons, uh, Illinois. Mm. So that's... That's the next thing on the agenda for that particular site. And it doesn't look very promising, but, uh, and, and we're working on that. <laughs>
6: This week on The Trump Diaries. Sexual harassment charges fell multiple congressmen and start to bite at Trump. Violence roils the Middle East after Trump's statement on Jerusalem. Alabama votes. And what's next? These are The Trump Diaries. Day 322, December 7th. Donald Trump Jr. today cited attorney-client privilege in refusing to discuss a phone call he had with his father about how to handle the fallout from his June 2016 meeting at Trump Tower with a Russian lawyer. He told the House Intelligence Committee that a lawyer was in the room during the call. His defense is novel. In fact, you cannot shield communications merely by having an attorney present. And the fallout continued from Trump's decision to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. World leaders from Europe to Asia called the move dangerous and irresponsible and unwarranted. Axios reported that Trump didn't seem to have a full understanding of the issue and was focused simply on seeming pro-Israel and making a deal, in the words of some unnamed advisors. Europe defined to go along with Trump on the issue when asked by Israel. Senator Al Franken said he would resign in the coming weeks, becoming the highest-profile politician yet, to be felled by a wave of claims of sexual harassment. Franken gave a defiant statement on the floor saying some of the allegations are, quote, simply not true but that he did not want to distract from helping Minnesotans. Quote, there is some irony in the fact that I'm leaving while a man who has bragged on tape about his history of sexual assault sits in the Oval Office and a man who has repeatedly preyed on young girls' campaigns for the Senate. Republican Representative Trent Franks announced he will resign immediately following his wife's admission to a hospital. Franks is under investigation for sexual harassment. The latest jobs report has the unemployment rate at 4.1%, the lowest since 2000. The data also indicated the holiday shopping season is off to a solid start. The House approved a bill that would ease restrictions on carrying concealed firearms across state lines. The vote came in the wake of several massacres on American soil this year. Democrats on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee state KT McFarland's nomination. They want answers about her knowledge of communication between the indicted Michael Flynn and Russian Ambassador Sergey Kislyak. Day 323, December 8th. The New York Times is reporting that Russian operatives tried to make contact with Trump aide Hope Hicks twice since Trump took office. There is no suggestion that Hicks has done anything wrong. Hicks met with Robert Mueller's investigators this week as part of the investigation into Russia's efforts to influence the 2016 election. Trump, Donald Trump Jr., and members of the Trump Organization received an email during the campaign with a decryption key needed to open the hacked DNC documents that WikiLeaks had posted two months earlier. WikiLeaks began leaking the contents of John Podesta's hacked emails a month later. Trump offered a second endorsement of Roy Moore today, tweeting that Democrat Doug Jones is, quote, a Pelosi-Schumer puppet. Jeff Sessions' Justice Department is investigating Planned Parenthood for the transfer of fetal tissue. The issue a far-right conservative cause picks up after several Republican-led inquiries in Congress stalled late last year. Planned Parenthood said in a statement their actions were legal under the investigations were an attempt to chill reproductive freedom. Arizona Representative Trent Franks allegedly approached two female staffers about acting as a pregnancy surrogate. One woman said she was the subject of retribution after rebuffing Franks. They allegedly offered her $5 million to act as a surrogate. Franks abruptly resigned today. Dina Powell, Trump's National Security Director Deputy, will leave the White House this week. Powell has been behind the Trump administration's Middle East policy. She will continue in an advisory role. In a move called Childish and Disrespectful, Trump didn't invite Democratic lawmakers to the White House Hanukkah party. He also did not invite Jewish critics of his Middle East policy. The Hanukkah party is traditionally of a partisan celebration. And the Times is reporting that while the official death toll in Puerto Rico is 62, actual deaths may be as high as 1,052. Trump has been widely criticized for his response to the hurricane damage on the island. Day 324, December 9th. Multiple outlets reporting that Mueller's investigators are focused on an 18-day timeline related to a possible obstruction of justice charge by Trump. Sally Yates testified she told White House counsel Don McGahn on January 26 that Michael Flynn had lied to senior members of the Trump team about his conversation with Russia's ambassador Sergey Kislak and was susceptible to blackmail. Mueller is trying to determine why Flynn remained in his job for 18 days after that warning. Day 325, December 10th, powerful Alabama Senator Richard Shelby told his constituents that they could quote, do better on national television than elect Roy Moore tomorrow. Shelby stopped short of endorsing the Democrat in the race Doug Jones, but made it clear he thought Moore was a disgrace, and he made a clean, extraordinary break with Donald Trump. Polls showed Jones with a narrow lead as another woman accused Moore of being unfit for office on the weekend. And Adam Schiff, the ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, called the evidence of coordination between the Trump campaign and Russia pretty damning. Said Schiff, quote, the Russians offered help, the campaign accepted help, the Russians gave help, and the president made full use of that help. Day 326, December eleventh. Trump escalated his attacks in the news media after a weekend in which CNN and ABC were forced to make corrections. Trump castigated ABC News for a, quote, horrendously inaccurate and dishonest report, declared that CNN's slogan should be, quote, the least trusted name in news and insisted that a Washington Post reporter should be fired. His press officer, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, claimed also that bias in news reports has gotten, quote, out of control and should be taken seriously. Sanders said, quote, you cannot say it's an honest mistake when you're purposely putting out information that you know to be false or when you're taking information that hasn't been validated, that hasn't been offered any credibility, that has been continually denied by a number of people, including people with direct knowledge of an instance. A reporter responded to Sanders by asking her if she was speaking of her boss, who The Washington Post says lies an average of nine times a day. Trump has continually peddled conspiracy theories, including one that Obama was not born in the United States. A federal judge denied the Trump administration's request to delay an order requiring the military to begin accepting transgender recruits starting January 1st. She said the Trump argument was based on vague claims. The ruling and her earlier opinion blocking the president's ban on military recruitment of transgender men and women possibly could have forced the dismissal of current service members starting in March. Swedish police arrested three people on Sunday after a mass gang hurled Molotov cocktails at a synagogue in Gothenburg. The building did not catch fire and no one was injured. There has been an increase in anti-Semitic hate crimes in Sweden since Trump made his statement on Jerusalem last week. And three of Trump's accusers appeared on national TV to call for a congressional investigation of the president. More than a dozen women have accused Trump of groping and harassment. UN ambassador Nikki Haley added that women who have accused Trump of sexual misconduct, quote, should be heard. The White House continues to assert that those allegations are false. And Democratic senators today call for Trump's resignation. Kirsten Gilbrand said, quote, Trump has committed assault and he should be fully investigated and he should resign. Day 327, December 12. Landwehr's wife, Kayla, claimed her husband isn't a bigot at a Monday night campaign rally because, quote, one of our attorneys is a Jew. Kalis said, quote, fake news would tell you that we don't care for Jews, and I tell you all this because I've seen it, I just want to set the record straight while they're here. Moore has a history of bigoted comments when asked in September about what, quote, would make the country great again. He replied, quote, I think it was great at the time when families were united. Even though we had slavery, they cared for one another. People were strong in the family. And Trump fired back at Senator Kirsten Gillibrand this morning on Twitter, stepping into the growing call for him to be investigated over sexual assault. Trump tweeted, lightweight Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, a total flunky for Chuck Schumer, and someone who came to my office begging for campaign contributions not so long ago and would do anything for them is now in the ring fighting against Trump. Very disloyal to Bill and crooked used. Despite thousands of hours wasted and many millions of dollars spent, the Democrats have been unable to show any collusion with Russia. So now they're moving on to the false accusations and fabricated stories of women who I don't know and or have never met. Fake news. Multiple women from the Miss USA pageant appeared on broadcast media this morning in response, with proof, in fact, that Trump had at least met them. Former White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer is releasing a book in the summer titled The Briefing. In an interview with Sean Hannity, he claims it will, quote, set the record straight about, quote, a mass amount of incorrect and malicious attacks on the president. And Republican Representative Blake Farenthold was sued over accusations of sexual harassment three years ago and paid out a taxpayer finance $84,000 settlement. Farenthold is under fire but remains in office despite a lawsuit saying he, quote, disclosed that a female lobbyist had propositioned him for a threesome. Varenholtz disputed that account in court saying, quote, the woman wasn't a lobbyist. Congressional Republicans are extensively rewriting the law that governs the nation's system of higher education. They're attempting to dismantle the Obama-era regulations that protect students from predatory for-profit colleges. One provision could do away with the system of credit hours that college students earn to complete their degrees that the entire American university system is based on. Two other key concepts, gainful employment and borrower defense, are also said to be jettoned under Betsy DeVos. Day 328, December 13th. In a major upset, Doug Jones became the first Democrat elected to the Senate in Alabama in close to 20 years, beating Roy Moore. The race has major implications as it trims the GOP majority in the Senate to a single seat and deals Trump and Steve Bannon another humiliating loss. Bannon had put forth Moore. Trump had campaigned for him despite Moore being hit with credible accusations of child molestation and sexual relations with minors. Moore so far has refused to concede and may sue for a recount. Trump first congratulated Jones on a hard-fought win, but then reverted to type, trying to deflect any blame for the loss by tweeting he felt more quote, was not able to win in a general election. In the White House, it was reported there were feelings of relief. Megan McCain pointedly tweeted out a three-word response that summed up many D.C.'s feelings. Suck it, Bannon. The release on Tuesday night of FBI officials' text messages describing the possibility of a victory by Trump as terrifying and saying that Hillary Clinton, quote, just has to win is fueling the Republican campaign to attack the impartiality of special counsel Robert Mueller. As Mueller's investigation hits close to home, panic Republicans have been feverishly trying to muddy the waters with some calling for a special counsel to investigate the special counsel. In fact, Mueller, who is a registered Republican who was appointed by George W. Bush, removed the agents in questions when he learned of the text messages last summer. Republican lawmakers are reportedly coalescing around a unified tax plan and may pass a final bill as early as next week. Number two, Senator John Corn of Texas said, quote, we don't have it right this minute, but we're getting closer. Congress is scheduled to hold a lone public hearing on the bill today. The bill would greatly reduce the tax burden on the ultra wealthy while raising taxes for the middle class. And Disney is set to buy Fox today in a blockbuster deal valued at $68 billion. The deal gives the mouse control of Fox's valuable regional sports networks, which will merge with ESPN, as well as several cable channels any major movie studio. The deal leaves Rupert Murdoch with the Fox Broadcast Network, Fox Sports Properties, as well as Fox News. Analysts say the cash from this deal will allow him to take those private. That has important implications as some say it will allow Murdoch to fully be an attack dog for Trump with his news properties. Omarosa Newman, the former Apprentice star turned aide to Trump, is resigning from her post as director of communications. Her appointment was widely criticized at the time. In local polls, 32% of Americans support the Republican tax plan, the lowest level of public support for any major piece of legislation enacted in the last three decades. And 70% of the public believe accusations of sexual assault by Trump should be investigated. These are the Trump Diaries.
0: Mario Smith spoke to Evan F. Moore about Chicago hockey, the closing of DNA Info, and the future of sports journalism. (laughs) Mario Smith spoke to Evan F. Moore about Chicago hockey, the closing of DNA Info, and the future of sports journalism. News from the service entrance with Mario Smith airs every Thursday at 2 p.m. My next
7: guest is a Chicago fixture in the journalism world, I know him as a guy that probably told me to get out of the note more than once back in the day that I had overstayed my welcome. He is a he is a really cool brother, and I am glad that he is on the show today. Evan F. Moore, what's going on, man? I'm okay, good. How's it going? Everything is cool. So there's a lot to talk about, and and this all started, folks, because there was a post about Levar Ball on Facebook, and I looked at it. I go, how come I haven't had Evan on this show? He was actually on the uh, podcast on the Clock is the Enemy. A while back but I'm glad that you're here today so I saw that you uh, made a remark about uh, it being a year since your um, dismissal from DNA info um, what has that year been like for you as a writer and just on a personal level since that happened
8: oh well um, <clears throat> I was a victim of the earlier uh, budget cuts and, and when the uh, cuts happened last month uh, that's and making clear to people that I wasn't part of that. that. I was already at LA and I uh, guess since then, I mean, I am was back working and everything and doing what I've been doing, so uh, it's pretty tough about business. It kind of happens to everybody, no matter how good you are or whatever, so it's uh, a <clears throat> definite nature of the business this year and in recent years, and I always tell you, young people who want to get in a business, it can happen to anybody, but... But at any rate, you know, you have to make contact with folks and, and put out good work and so someone will, will find you.
7: Speaking of good work, you had the fortune of being only a handful of folks who have talked directly with Colin Kaepernick. What was that experience like? Um, and, and considering how much impact his not playing in the NFL has had, um, it, it, what was that like when you had a chance to sit with him?
8: Uh, yeah, when he was in town back in May for the No Your Rights camp, it was the third one he uh, he did. His people reached out to me um, a couple of weeks beforehand and told me he was going to be in town. That um, I was invited to the camp to see it. And for me, covering a lot of uh, protests and activists and different demonstrations and and I'm having that stuff in my family, you know, I was kind of you know wondering, you know, is he really, you know. Confidence, like 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 people say that he's supposed to be, because we've seen what's happened over the years with Muhammad Ali, with Jim Brown, with Tommy, Tommy Carlos, or Tommy or Tommy Smith, and John Carlos, and and uh, other folks who taken uh, such a public stand, and you know obviously locally, Craig Hodges with the Bulls uh, way back when. We've seen what happens when these folks you know take a stand, and what happens to them in one way or another, they get they get blackballed. So. Talking to him, it just seems like he's he's aware that you know this is happening, even though he couldn't really you know talk about it by name. But seems like he's aware that that if he didn't take that take the stand he took, that he be playing right now. And a lot of folks around him are are saying that. And the thing is, is that. The NFL and other folks wanted this to go away, and it hasn't. It's gotten stronger, and I wrote about it for fanside last week, saying that he probably has more fans now outside of the game than he did when he was in the game. Right. um, Right, so he's literally doing everything that all these folks said he he wouldn't do. And uh, another part of his story that doesn't really get talked about much is he's a, a biracial adopted kid, and that's, Holes in his history and his upbringing, right there. So anyone who, who was in those groups are going to have questions about things, and that kinda, was kind of one of the things that, that led to his activism and him wanting to know the ancestry and, and things of that nature. So this happened to anyone in those groups. So anyone shouldn't really, really be surprised, honestly, that he would take up the stand in the way he did.
7: We're with Evan F. Moore. Who is uh, doing stuff for Rolling Stone magazine and, and freelance writer, but but uh, a very keen observer of what's happening uh, in society. I want to ask you a couple of quick questions. I know I don't have a whole lot of time with you, and I do appreciate you being on. Um, we saw what happened in Alabama on Tuesday, I guess that was Tuesday. Um, and a lot of people applauded, and there was a lot of happy, happy. I was included in that. you know, I spiked the football a couple of times that night too. Um, but now that we've had a couple of days to reflect on that, um, where are we politically, uh, right now in this country? Is it, is it really real that the GOP is afraid of what might happen in the 2018 midterm? Or is that, is that us hoping that they're afraid?
8: Well, when you saw my remarks that night, right, when all this was happening, it, it's, that the Democrats, like, you know, finally fought back by the same time. I shouldn't have gotten to this point. This dude's a, a pedophile a racist and everything you can possibly think of. There's no way he should be anywhere near ele- elected office, but he was basically steps away, and people wanted to uh, blame, you know, if he would have won, people would have blamed uh, black people who didn't vote or people who, who as a whole, who didn't vote or who, who are third-party candidates or, or sat this one out. Mm-hmm. And we need to, the Democrats need to have a real good talk of themselves that they need to see how racism is really complex. A lot of people still believe that racism oh, I just I call you a slur and that's it. They don't realize that there's laws, there's stuff as simple as a sac at the end of the block, it's, it's so many different things that can symbolize racism and that's what these folks seem to represent and they don't believe that it it's really as bad as black people have been saying because we showed up all of you uh, 14, <laughs> 14 years ago in many cases we're a start we're already here but that's another story but <clears throat> so i think that democrats need to take this momentum hopefully learn from it and try to you know win back to the, the black vote i mean they, some of them are saying like thank you black people and stuff like that People need to realize they're they're not a fan of guy one either. Really, right? I'm saying so. It's kind of like one of those things where, like, I'm not a big fan of the whole um, lesser of two evils, but in this case, this guy won because of who more was to represent. But at the same time, I hope the voters of Alabama, you know, hold this other guy feet to the fire, and not have not use this as something where well, we're not about bad at the other person. So I hope the folks down there you know take their take it seriously and go out uh, get after this guy as long as hes in office.
7: And, and also with that and I've been actually somebody opened my eyes to it last evening, this is the perfect time to organize. if you were ever going to organize for anything ever, Alabama showed you it could be done because that state there is, is a p- part of the fabric of this movement that we have been in forever. It started there. And or a lot of it started there, and for for example, for Selma to come out as big as it did to shut the door basically on this fiasco was poignant. It, it it's not lost upon me, but I I just feel like you do. There's so much more that we have to do, and and I just really hope people take their vote as a, a piece of power that they have and not just something that they go and do every two or four years.
1: Michael. Yeah, I
0: agree.
8: Yeah, I agree. And, and- you see how what what happened here with uh, with the voting and, and who voted for more? I mean, just because you know Jones won, you guys need to look at the amount of people who voted for um for uh, more and see, you know, where these folks thinking. I mean, it's like you you're kind of wondering, you know, why they why they voted for him and it wasn't like a, a landslide because of what this guy did. I mean, people wanted this guy in office. Even the president, despite the fact that all this stuff has gone on about what these guys have said about slavery in the past and its history of young girls, I mean, it's just bonkers to think about it, but that's where we're at.
7: Yeah. Yeah. I I hope I hope that this downward spiral and this national nightmare ends soon with with everybody going to jail. That would be great. (laughs) Um, Now, let's let's because, again, I'm trying to economize my time. Let's step away from that for a minute. You're a hockey enthusiast. And I think nah. it, it, yes, you are. Yes, you are. You are a big time hockey dude. I know it because I've seen pictures, and I know that you are not playing when you say you really dig hockey. And like we got, we got PK on, we got you, and maybe two other guys, and Grant Fuhrer, but he don't play no more. When 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 my man Jason Goff started the brothers for hockey movement, him and uh, Lawrence uh, Lawrence Holmes. Uh, you were right in there, too. So, here we are, hockey, Blackhawks, kind of struggling, getting a little in three-game win streak right now. Corey Crawford made them made come back because God knows they needed some help. Um, where, where do you see the Hawks ending up this season?
8: I, think it's, I don't know. If, uh, um, it's, it's weird because we always talk about how a high goalie can carry a team and how Blackhawks fans are finally seeing that. that. Corey Crawford is much more valuable than they previously thought. They want sometimes they want to drop Darlin, and you kind of see uh, how he's playing over there in Carolina. they yeah, terrible. They're starting to realize like, that, hey, this, we they don't have they won't have the wins they have without without Crawford, and it could be a situation where the offensive week wakes up and he ends up carrying the team into the Stanley Cup final, but it's not you know not looking good. But we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, hockey is. Uh, as wonky as they, like, as they like to say, and we saw what happened last year—how they beat the Predators really bad—and
7: when the playoffs came around, we saw how that turned out. Absolutely, so absolutely. The Predators look like they had engines in their skates. They've outskated the poor Blackhawks. Ugh, it was horrible. I haven't been on the Twitter's today. Did the Sox get Machado yet? Am I can I celebrate now? I
8: haven't seen the news. Have they got
7: them? I don't know. God, if they—you know what? Let me tell you, man. I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the the. Uh, I'm not like a like you know how Cub fans are all like yeah we don't care it don't matter it matters to me I, I really hope that they get this dude I just hope they don't make a bad deal trying to get him I think they can get him without giving up a whole lot it's just uh, what what his intention is once he gets to um, here or something but you know I don't know I don't know it doesn't yeah, look up,
5: like it up. happened
8: yeah he's a well, uh, Machado is in his prime, the prime of his career, and that's kind of thick. He just traded, he still could be a free agent, so I'm guessing they're gonna, you know, um, get some assurances from him before they make the trade that he's gonna resign. You know, going with them. But also, is it a thing where the, well, the White Sox feel like they're they're you know they're pretty close to where they want to be? Yeah, Machado could lead them, could be the player to lead lead them on the top with all the young players. So. It's, that's kind of what the whole thing is and in my mind is that they feel like that they're not that far away and they need Machado to kind of be the guy to kind of lead their youth movement, to be like a stable veteran in clubhouse and stuff like that. So that's why I think they're at.
0: The Lumpin' Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN-LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is edited and engineered by Logan Bay. The Lumpin' theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. Lumpin' Radio Sting by Dan Jugal. Voiceovers by Ed Marzuski, Jamie Trecker, and Shanna Van Volt. For more information on Lumpin' Radio, visit lumpinradio.com. Lumpen Radio broadcasts on 105.5 FM in the Chicago area and worldwide via lumpenradio.com. <laughs>